Hello and welcome to another episode of The Name on the Trophy, the Manchester United podcast and YouTube show uh, with me, Dominic Booth. Uh, another very special guest joining me on this one, uh, United broadcaster journalist. You may know him from Promised Land podcast, Rob Blanchett. Uh, Rob, thank you very much for, for being another one of my early guinea pig guests on this show. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Dom. Uh, Rob and I are going to chat about the... United's, I'm going to call it a triumphant return to action against Burnley um, and also preview the Nottingham Forest game just after Christmas. Uh, a few other bits and bobs to talk about as well. Quite interesting topics, Aaron Wambasaka, Anthony Martial. First of all, Rob, it was half empty at Old Trafford and not a, not a thrilling game in, in many ways against Burnley, but United couldn't really have asked for a better return than, than what they got really with that 2-0 victory. Yeah, I think it was a 60,000 capacity due to all sorts of things uh, with strikes and one thing or another going at Old Trafford. But yeah, a good return to football. It's great to see some actual Manchester United action again, isn't it, after the World Cup yeah. and uh, the flood of information that we've been kind of taking on through Qatar and one thing or another. But uh, it was a decent performance against a really good Burnley team. I think this Burnley team will be in the Premier League next year and I think Company himself will be the kind of young coach who, who will make his way up the the kind of strata of English football. I can see him managing a big club very soon. Yeah, and like you say, United weren't at full strength with the World Cup and hadn't had much football. Any performances that, that caught your eye? I mean, we're going to talk about Aaron Wan-Bissaka later because I thought he was particularly good and maybe surprisingly good because of how little football he'd had and maybe one or two others that were a little further off the pace, I thought. Yeah, I think there's obvious protagonists for the game. Obviously, Marcus Rashford's goal was spectacular, one of the best at Old Trafford for a very long time. Um, but in terms of the performances, I think it was just good to have the the steeliness and intelligence of Casemiro back in the team. I think you can kind of see that, even at centre-back, how effective this player is. And we can call him a, a world-class defensive midfielder, but I think it's kind of, I've always said that, uh, that underplays him a little bit. I think he's actually a world-class footballer. And I think it kind of shows what he can do for Man United. So uh, I doubt we'll see him at centre-back in the weeks ahead. Uh, but it gives you an option, doesn't it? You've actually got someone who can play on the right-hand side next to Martinez if you need it. You're not always reliant on the likes of Lindelof and Maguire. Well, yeah, that's the thing with United's next game. We maybe can come on to that later with, obviously, Zandra Martinez and, and Varane <laughs> having passive status in the World Cup final. You, you, we are looking at that dreaded, uh, or some, some fancy it as the dreaded, Lindelof and Maguire partnership at the back. Um, elsewhere at the back, there was no no sign of Dallow. Shaw came on. I thought the both fullbacks there. I thought Malassia was was really solid as he as he always is. Really, it's sort of a typical Malassia performance. I thought. Um, and then Wambasaka. What what do you make of Wambasaka? We haven't seen him. We haven't. Everyone sort of was assuming that his United career was close to over. What what, what do you make of it? Well, I called it uh, what we say in the business as a shop window performance. So is a guy looking for a move. Uh, I think he wants a move as well now. You know, he's on the fringes of the team. I'm sure he'd like to do well for Manchester United in a Manchester United shirt. However, I'm not quite sure he fits really what this manager wants to do. Now, Eric Ten Hag did say after the game that uh, with Aaron that he's not been well. He talked about illness uh, through the first weeks of the season, obviously injury as well. And that's limited his, his ability to be able to just be even feature in the team. But it depends on what, what happens with Delo, doesn't it? Like Delo is your is your starter at right back. You can 
play Malassia on that side. You have got younger options there. Brandon Williams is back in the team. So you've got that. But I think with Aaron, it's a case that in the next week or two or three, we will probably see him in a Crystal Palace shirt or maybe Wolves. Yeah, maybe that's exactly. I was saying to my friend who I went to the game with, actually, that's the kind of club you can see him doing really well at because they have less of the ball. He's required to make those tackles, which he's so good at. He can use his physicality, which I think we saw um, against Burnley as well. Personally, I'm not a big fan of Malassia on the right. I think even when he came on, I think that he can get targeted on the outside. And I didn't really like that. And I didn't like him when he played there against Fulham before the break either. So it does leave United a little bit short if they are going to to offload Wambasaka. And like you say, an injury, one injury to Diogo Dello and, and there's a bit of a problem there. Yes, of course. And I think that right back is definitely one of the positions that United are going to be exploring in, in this January transfer window. Whether they actually get anyone over the line really depends on the other transfers, the incomings and the outgoings. But I think with, when you look at coverage, like I agree with you. I don't really like Malassia at right back. But at the same time, if it's for a game or two or covering or coming on as a sub or tactical substitutions or whatnot, I'm kind of OK with it. You know, I don't see Malassia ever really ripping trees up at Man United. He's kind of Tellez light. You know, someone you could use, someone who's got a, a, a decent amount of quality. But I think the issue for fullbacks always now is about what you do going forward. So if you can give production going forward, that's the issue with wan as well, isn't it? It's about, yeah. you know, can you actually give those numbers and those metrics on the front foot? Defensively, yeah, I think those all of those players in the mix could do it. You know, there's Ethan Laird potentially to come back that you could have into the team. You've got Tu and Zabi now coming back who can play right back. So there's options there, uh, even though they're not the perfect option. What you really need to do is keep Delo fit. Yeah, we saw during the World Cup a couple of those potential right back options for United, didn't we? Impress and mm. Denzel Dumfries, who's perennially linked yeah. with United. And so Junior Dest, they came really close to signing on deadline day, didn't they? I actually thought he was particularly good for, for the USA and was. an impressive, impressive talent. Um, we'll see what happens, I suppose. I guess another position, January uh, is coming up and it's going to be talked about a heck of a lot. I've just done a podcast about this, um, the number nine situation and, and Anthony Martial, his role, whether he's the man going forward. I saw a lot of comments on social media after the Burnley game that Martial didn't impress them, that people were saying he was slow and lazy, often gets banded about um, related to Martial. What, what did you make of him? I, I thought he was a bit off the pace, but... I thought that was, those comments were a little harsh. Uh, I think he played better than I've seen Cristiano Ronaldo this year. So I think it's an upgrade. <laughs> so low that's bar, the truth. That's a, that's, a, that's, that's a low bar, exactly. But that's the truth. That's where we stand with it. So, yeah, you definitely need another forward or a number nine. Um, you know, we talked a lot during the World Cup of this about what number nines do now. And they're not really number nines anymore. Not strikers. They're not all Harlands. You know, they do different things. So I think Martial fits that profile. Uh, I I think the issue with him, of course, is his fitness, and that's the long-term problem. But, you know, can Anthony Martial score goals, and can he give you the service through that part of the pitch? Well, again, the metrics tell us, that even though people say he's lazy, his pressing stats are fine. They're not that bad, you know, when you look at them compared to both players within the United camp and players who are maybe similar who play up for other teams. Um, so it's about pressing as a unit, and I actually think he did a good job with that. If you think about the the shot he had that was saved that was kind of going in that top corner. It was a good save on the night. 
yeah. and he could have had his goal. And then, of course, the narrative changes, doesn't it? But it's a little bit like Marcus Rashford in the sense that when Rashford has a you know good game, everyone loves him, and when he has a poor game, he's the worst player in the world. So there's a there's a balance there, I think, between those two. What I like mentioning Cristiano there is that I think that Martial makes Bruno a better player. I think he makes uh, the other players around him, like Marcus, a better, better player. And I think he'll make Anthony a better player. All of those things count when you're trying to win football matches. So for now, absolutely fine with Martial being a starter, but he's got to be fit. And these next few weeks will help him with that. If people think he didn't look quite fit, that's his first competitive game for quite a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we can't really look into those Cadiz and Real Batiste games at all, really, I don't think. No. I know there was some chat about them and United <laughs> They losing, were awful. <laughs> yeah, they, I didn't even see. I'm a big United fan. I've got a Man United podcast. I was too busy working for the World Cup. I didn't even see those games. So apologies about that. It's a bit of a, a, a lift behind the curtain there. Um, you mentioned four players there, and I think they will be the four starting attackers against Forrest, Fernandez, Anthony, Rashford and Martial you don't really see anyone really breaking into that at the moment. You know, new signing obviously might change that. Cody Gappo looks the most likely from where I'm standing as a, as a new striker signing. Garnacho didn't have his best game against Burnley. And actually I think he annoyed the crowd a little bit with a couple of um, sort of fluffs in the box when it, when it came to him, big chances. And, and then Sancho of course, at the moment is, is still doing his own training and, and on the periphery. So it really is those four um, and United are relying on those four at the moment. Yeah, those are, and, and I'm fine with those four. Like, I think when you look at the potential Gakpo coming to the football club, you know, if Manchester United stump up this 44 million that PSV want and they can do that, then you're bringing in a player that can play on the left, that can play through the centre and it can play at number 10. So I always think about the greater good here. I don't really, I'm not interested in individuals. Like you can get individual talents, like we said there just a minute ago, like a Haaland, but essentially, you need players that click together and work together. And I think that's what's been missing over Manchester United for a decade. You know, this is not a problem that in the last year, we're going back over a long, long period of time. And people that thought Cristiano would come to the club and get United to the promised land again, you know, not plug my own podcast that was there. Plug, but, yeah, you know, <laughs> that wasn't a plug, but it, it, but it is a plug. Um, <laughs> but th this is the whole point, is that you cannot rely on individuals to win your matches or win your titles. So I'm much happier looking at the collective and looking at that front kind of four or five or six and include Bruno Fernandes in that, that if you can rotate them around you can find something really good uh, the manager again spoke before the game about proactive football and reactive football so obviously he wants to play a proactive style whereas the World Cup we saw lots of reactive football didn't we we saw lots of mid blocks lots of people sitting deep that's an old school old money way of playing football we need players that can play on the front foot and play off the ball. And that's what United have missed. So a Gakpo with a, with a Martial, with a Rashford, with an Anthony, with a Sancho returning, with a Garnacho, I think that's a very, very exciting front line. Yeah, you go, you go from having what you think is a paucity of options with Ronaldo gone and obviously Cavani in the Greenwood situation to having all these new energetic options. And like you say, fluid options, people who can play in different positions, and that thing we saw in the World Cup, that's just tournament football, right? That's teams yeah. getting to knockout stages by hook or by crook. Manchester United, especially, cannot play like that every week in a, in a league campaign. It's just not feasible. And it's why the likes of Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho weren't received very well by, by fans, right? 
Yeah, the World Cup, I think, is a bit like boxing where you where you fight behind a jab. So you just jab for 12 rounds and win, win the fight. That's OK. Football's more of a knockout punch. So I think that's the whole thing with Manchester United is we've always been able to compete to a certain level in recent years. I think what Ten Hag's trying to create is a team that has shock and awe, has that ability to hit you on the, on the counter press because that's the key now in modern football. Uh, and we've seen, haven't we, only go back to Ranjit when Ranjit was trying to play counter press for 10 minutes and the whole squad just could not do it, you know, yeah. so it collapsed. And so he gets the blame and says, oh, your players can't play the counter press. But it's actually about constructing a squad that can play like that. So I, I, I like the players we've got at the moment. I like the players we're being linked with. I also like the idea of some of these players leaving, you know, some of these players that don't help you. I always say they don't help you win football matches, get them off the wage bill, bring in players that can help you. Yeah, I thought we were about to delve into a big Rangnick uh, discussion there because I could do a whole other podcast on on Rangnick. And, oh, we can do that. That's, that's six months. <laughs> uh, that's Yeah, that's, that's a whole book's worth, I think, for somebody to write. Uh, back to the game. Garnacho, just briefly on Garnacho, sorry. Um, mm. A little bit of ire from the fans. Mr. Big Chance. I think he just ran one out of play on the left at one point. He he looked like an erratic youngster, which he obviously is. But we've, exactly become, is. <laughs> we've become used to seeing something a little bit higher from him. And that goal against Fulham, his performance in the previous round at the Carabao. But this is going to happen, right, with a teenage player like, like Garnacho. Look, I think of an old Trafford crowd is giving, a, you know, a kid a bit of jip in a, in a League Cup game, then we've got problems. Because that's mad. You know, this is a young lad who needs he needs leadership around him. He needs to be able to develop himself. So if anyone thinks that he's going to be tearing up trees every week at the moment, has no idea about the game or the squad or what's been going on at Man United for a long time. Uh, again, I think he's another piece of the jigsaw. I think that, you know, you've got to secure him now. There's a bit of time on his contract, but you can keep him at the club. I think he's going to be a top player. I think he'll show up for Argentina in the next two or three years that, that he is a re- he's a real top forward. But it's like, you know, you go and buy an Anthony, don't you, on the other side? And really, what Anthony is, is a kind of developed version of Garnacho. So that's what he is. You know, someone who's a few years older, that maybe three or four years ago, you'd have looked at Anthony and gone, no, not right for Man United, not right for the Premier League, bit, a bit erratic, a bit too much showboating. I don't mind showboating. Go and win football matches. That's what it's about. And Garnacho is a winner. And that's what I liked about him last year when we covered him throughout the whole youth ranks, winning the Youth Cup was that he's got that edge. You know, he wants to win games. He made a couple of mistakes against Burnley, but I still thought his performance was fine. He played an hour. He's a kid. You know, once upon a time in the League Cup, Dom, you know, we'd have been playing the second team and not really worrying about a performance at all. But here we are now, Manchester United, into a, a quarterfinal, um, a good tie for them, and uh, success. So, you know, that's how we measure it, I think, by the actual result at the end of the day. Exactly, yeah. Charlton in the quarterfinal, obviously, that draw favourable for United, you have to say. And and we're talking about this game, and I guess, it's, A, it's the return to action. We haven't had a game to talk about for a month. I'm starting mm. this podcast and I need a game to talk about, so it's fantastic. And also, United need a trophy. It's easy to say, um, you know, Carabao Cup, Mickey Mouse trophy, but United haven't won one for going on five, six years now. And Ten Hag, obviously, I think, is looking at it under the, with that lens. He needs to get one under his belt and it takes the pressure off him. Even if United don't finish in the top four this year, but they, they win two cups, let's say, then everyone says, well done, Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, totally. And I think the blueprint when you're building the squad has changed, you see. So, like again, I think if you go back to maybe the Solskjaer period and even beyond to like Mourinho, Van Gaal, is that in these games... 
you'd still take them seriously, but you'd rotate heavily. And there would always be that emphasis, wouldn't there, on kind of rest and recovery, bringing players in, pushing youth, et cetera, et cetera. I think with this manager, we've seen it now over a period of, you know, multiple games, dozens, that he will pick his strongest team no matter what the competition is. So if it's the League Cup and he's got players that he wants to play and he needs them to play minutes because he wants to win it, he will go that route. So we said that before the League Cup. We were like, we're going to see probably a Premier League strength team and World Cup players, whereas only a year or two ago, that would not have been the case. You'd have had heavy rotation and you'd have got a fractured performance. So this is what I think this manager wants to do. He continually wants to to push the bar all the time. And I think Manchester United absolutely need that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And and that goes for the Forest game coming up as well. It goes Mm -hmm. for the fact that I think Ten Hag, unlike many of his predecessors, actually knows his strongest 11. And barring one or two bits of World Cup fatigue, we will see that strongest 11 against Forest. Like we said, the the four forwards, Casemiro and Eriksen are nailed on for the midfield now. Maybe those centre-backs are the only things that under question because of that World Cup factor but it's nice right that Ten Hag knows his strongest 11 United fans know what to expect from that 11 when they come out on the pitch a bit of consistency looks like it's finally upon us yeah I think look I think the long-term idea of course is to kind of build a pool of players that become starters so you know you don't have 11 starters you effectively have 14 15 16 and you try and work around that so tactically I think we saw that in the last few weeks in the Premier League before the World Cup, United have been playing this kind of quasi 4-1-5, yeah, pushing high up the pitch, letting Casemiro sit. You kind of got this shape here. It's quite defined in the press and in the counter-press. What we saw against Burnley was more of a 4-2-3-1, and that was just to put an extra body in midfield because of how Burnley play. So it was a bit of respect to them. So I think we'll see actually more of that from Ten Hag, is that I don't think he gets too caught up on philosophy or like, you know, I have to do this every game and this player has to do that. What he demands is hard work, pressing, energy, and all of those kind of key factors that I think you've seen Jurgen Klopp in the past preach about and maybe even Pep Guardiola about always being fluid. Man United teams, of course, have not been like that. So I think that that, that Ten Hag's done really, really well in these opening weeks. And uh, Nottingham Forest, again, will, will offer its own challenges, even though, they're a team with 26 new players this season uh, and they're trying to find their own feet. Uh, they'll come to Old Trafford and they'll be looking to punch Man United in the mouth. I think some people wanted United to sign 26 players in the summer after those uh, big comments from Ralph Rangnick saying they needed to sign 10 players and everyone was trying to quickly scrabble together a list of, uh, of 10 players United could sign. Forest obviously <laughs> haven't had the best start back into the Premier League. Obviously back Steve no. Cooper. Um Jesse Lingard, we haven't seen the best of him since he left United. I thought it was a massive surprise when he went to Forest. I thought he would, you know, with all due respect to Forest, get a better club than that. I thought West Ham was going to be perfect for him. I thought Dean Henderson would get a better club than Nottingham Forest as well, to be honest. Just on those two quickly, Rob, what, what have you made of, of them since their, their moves? Obviously, neither leaving, well, I know Henderson is on loan, but neither leaving United with sort of the fondest of wishes from, from many fans. No, I think it shows maybe the influence of agents as well in all of this, because I think we might look at players and kind of put them in boxes and say they should play for this standard club or the other. But the fact that the Premier League is so incredibly rich from top to bottom is that the teams in that bottom half or mid or kind of in the middle somewhere of the pack can afford better players. So I think with Jesse Lingard, the fact that he signed a one year contract said a lot. 
because he's going to walk at the end of the season. He's not going to stay at Nottingham Forest. The contract he got was pretty good for a one-year contract. He needed to play football. And I think he felt that if he went to Forest and ripped it up, then what would he be doing? He'd be in England shirt for the Qatar World Cup. Did not happen, of course. So I think for Jesse now, for this next six months, what will he be doing? He'll be playing for a move. So I think we might see an uptick in Lingard's performances. And I think with Dean Henderson, you know, if anyone's ever really kind of shot themselves in the foot as a goalkeeper or as a footballer, it was Dean Henderson. In the fact that, yes, Manchester United didn't really help him last year in terms of uh, playing opportunities and one thing or another. I do think there were reasons for that as well. And I think De Gea's form was okay. And you can kind of balance the books and say Henderson's better with his feet or whatnot. But I think with Dean Henderson... Um, he needs to go and play football. And again, he was in the same situation that he needed to play to get to that Qatar World Cup. Didn't happen for him, did it? So uh, let's just see how these two players do in the second half of the season. I can't ever see Dean Henson coming back to Man United, but he was one of the top 15 paid goalkeepers in the world while sat on our bench. So he wasn't doing too badly. No, and I made a point the other day about David De Gea's potential new contract, and I know it may be on lower terms, but it'll still be on a, a hefty wage if he does stay, and maybe he shouldn't yeah. be United's first choice keeper. And when you when you mention things like that about De Gea, people automatically assume you think Henderson should be the answer. Uh, I just don't mm. think that Henderson has shown enough. Really, he had that brief no. bit when he was when he was number one and deservedly number one under Solskjaer, but yeah. when De Gea came back, he, like you say, he did play quite well. We haven't just we haven't seen enough of Dean Henderson. I, I still don't really know what his actual level is. It's and he obviously won't be playing against United uh, on the twenty seventh, so it's a little bit of a moot point. But I guess we'll see when it comes to Henderson, right, Rob? Yeah, I think his level's Nottingham Forest. That's why he's there. That's just the, the bottom line. I think he's a good goalkeeper, but we're getting out of this this world now. He's not a young goalkeeper. You know, he's not twenty one, twenty two, and has got you know, all these years ahead of him and can develop and all of this. I think when you look at it, he reminds me a little bit of like Ben Foster. So when Ben Foster was at Man United, we brought him back from Watford and that cycle of loans and one thing or another. He got a really good period in the team where he played games, made mistakes and was out of the team. And I think with Dean Henderson, his metrics on the ball, on his feet and all that, yeah, they're fine. They're good. He's more of a sweeper keeper than David De Gea will ever be. But the truth is that in those games that he did play, in those minutes he did play, he wasn't brilliant. You know, he really wasn't. It was He wasn't particularly assured. He wasn't showing the world that I'm this high above David De Gea. That's exactly why De Gea stayed in the team. De Gea played well, saved United on countless occasions and was almost player of the year once again. So I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of sweeper keepers. And I think, you know, from what you just said there, that there is this chance always that David will sign a new deal on a much reduced terms. But then you need to bring in a goalkeeper that competes with him and maybe does other things and maybe is much more like an Edison or an Allison or a Saar or, or Robert Sanchez, that kind of goalkeeper than yeah. an old school David De Gea. But it doesn't mean that you have to bin De Gea. It just means that if you keep him, he's going to have to be on under 200 grand a week. You're going to have to take half that wage off him. And then maybe he can still be a leader in the dressing room. You know, he, I think he won't be a toxic influence like the guy we've just lost who was on 500 grand a week and not in the team. So there's a balance there. And I, I think with David De Gea, quite often gets a, a bad rap, but I understand that as well because he's certainly not the modern style of goalkeeper. Yeah, the De Gea debate always seems to just turn into black and white. You, you, you can't have some a nuanced view on it. And I did, that, does, that does irritate me because he does have his strengths, but he does have yeah. major flaws, like we say. One thing we maybe learned against Burnley, just to go back to that, is that Martin Dubravka isn't the person to oust De Gea as the number one. I mean, he looked no. 
really shaky, shakier than I ever saw him in Newcastle colours. I always thought he was a pretty solid goalkeeper for Newcastle, but that was not a, a Manchester United number one performance at all. No, no, look, look, the Dubravka's time at Manchester United is already over. He's at the club in spirit and being paid, but he's certainly not ever going to be the number one. Um, when he signed from Newcastle, someone at contact from Newcastle said to me, you're not getting the goalkeeper you think you are. That was what they said to me. So I, I kind of marked that and I thought, OK, and then the games that we have seen him, there is a reason why Dubravka has not even played in some of the minor matches. So I was really surprised to see him start that League Cup game because it was still important, especially when you're putting out the likes of Casemiro and World Cup players coming back. Uh, but Dubravka, I think, showed in that game that he's not Premier League standard. Uh, I, I think he's not even Championship standard, to be honest, anymore. He was a good well, goalkeeper a few yeah. years ago. But, you know, just to mention the De Gea thing to close that off, you know, we looked at the World Cup, didn't we? We know why he didn't go to the World Cup with Spain. They've got all these brilliant sweeper keepers. They've got Simon in goal. And Simon helped them get out of that tournament. And he's a sweeper keeper. And I think he would have saved one or two of those shots that he didn't save. De Gea would have stopped those balls going in the net, no doubt, in his skill set. So, you know, Lewis Enrique now doesn't have a job. This kind of this is the fine lines of football, isn't it? What you pick and what you choose. So De Gea does have weaknesses, but I don't, you know, I don't have the fear of God when I go to Old Trafford and see him warming up every week. I don't think he's the guy who's going to lose you football matches, though, of course, he is part of the wider building of this squad. You do need a sweeper keeper that can come in. Yeah, that will situation will develop over the coming weeks, I'm sure. Um, finally, on the, on just on the Forest game, how will it play out? Is this going to be a team coming to Old Trafford, putting banks of four behind the ball, asking United to do what they haven't done very well in recent years in terms of dominate possession and try and un unlock them? Or will Forest, with their multitude of stars from various backgrounds and various clubs, will they try and do be a little bit more proactive like someone like Brighton has done and has success against United with the press and, you know, really trying to strangle United and, and dominate possession themselves. I think they would love to do that. I just, whether they can actually do that is a bigger question. So I, I think when you look at their, the philosophy of the club or what they're trying to do, they certainly want to be a front foot team. But if you do that in the first 15 games of the Premier League season and you lose them all and you're in bottom three, then you have to try and do something different. You know, so it's OK Potter having success at Brighton because it's taking him years to kind of get that success. I think if Forrest want to play that game at Old Trafford, they're going to get smashed. So they want to play and go, you know, go talent versus talent versus Man United. I don't think that will work. I think if they play a mid block and they try and, you know, win that midfield battle and maybe if they're up against a McTominay or a Fred or someone like that they might get a little bit more joy but if it's Casemiro and Ericsson running it from there and Bruno Fernandes then I don't fancy Nottingham Forest. Forest have got the you know the chance to rewrite the script with Jesse Lingard coming back and you know Jesse might go and grab you a winner but I think this is now done more about Manchester United. These games are about what are Manchester United? What can they do again? rather than just being a kind of reactive football club. I think that they can go into games and dominate the narrative in these in these actual football matches. So I feel much better about it. Whereas, again, only a few months ago, I might have been like, oh, don't like this type of game. You know, I've sat there so many times over the last few years where smaller teams come to Old Trafford and school you and you leave that stadium going, right, what am I going to write about this today? Or what, what podcast am I actually going to do? And you sit there all glum and all of this afterwards because it's, there's always, you've seen it all before. There's you've always a record, record from the 1960s or 70s that these teams break at Old Trafford, like they haven't scored a goal since 1977 or something like that. Yeah, I, I really hope of, that this isn't yeah. the case. 
I, I hope so as well. And, and I think with Nottingham Forest, I do think they are improved. I'll say that, you know, I think that they're a better team than they were at the start of the season. Definitely more de- uh, defensively sound, like we looked again at the numbers and the metrics. They're so much more tighter than they were at the start of the season. But again, you know, Marcus Rashford does what he does against Burnley, gets the ball from the halfway line and runs through everyone. And he's on form. Forest can't stop that. There's no way, there's no team in, you know, most of the division that can stop that style of football. So it's more about Man United playing at their their best energy. And I do hope that, like Bruno Fernandes, we see the guy who was at the World Cup. You know, that's that's the Bruno that belongs at Man United, that player who can dictate the front, you know, the front areas of the pitch rather than being someone that's dropping deep, picking the ball up as some kind of, you know, quasi number six. It's not really what we want to see from him. So it's all about how Man United play. But I think the good thing is, is that I trust Ten Hag to go into the game and not underestimate Forrest and to make sure his players are 100% ready. And that's a big difference over the years. We've not been able to say that about a Man United manager for, for many, many, many seasons. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, the run of fixtures coming up is a good chance for United to build some momentum after the break. You think about Bournemouth, Wolves, Everton in the FA Cup. There is a bit of momentum that can gather and hopefully we see that, Rob. I'm going to push you for a prediction. My first guest, uh, Wayne Barton, said he never does predictions, but I know that you do. So I'm going to really push you for a score prediction and then obviously share it on Twitter when, when you get it wrong. I never do predictions, Dom. <laughs> that's 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 well known about me. It's not that I, I agree with Wayne, but I never do predictions because of that exact thing. Sometimes I have to for my work, so we'll do it here for you now. I think this. I think Man United will win this game. Two, two, I, I'll, I'll say two nil, right? And, and and I'll say that because I think one, what's important in this game is to get a clean sheet. Really good to you know to push things forward, get that that shape back at the back. Uh, I think we'll probably see Maguire start, depending on whether he's recovered from his illness or not. We're not sure yet. I don't know if the manager's talked about that in terms of availability. So a, a, a clean sheet is vital. But I think then on the other side of the pitch is just to get that front four, front five really clicking and see if they can they can cut through. I think with Martial starting in the team, I think we'll see a much improved attack for the second half of the season than what we've seen in the first half. Got to remember, Man United's goal difference is zero. For a reason, that's because they can't score goals or they haven't been able to, not been able to win matches. So I think you, you get it right at one end of the pitch and it certainly helps at the other end. So I think uh, I'll go with the 2 0 win or maybe 2 1. Well, I'm going to be ultra, ultra optimistic and say 4 1. I think this is finally the game where United find that flow and the, uh, the, the, I think the floodgates might open a little bit. And like you say, Rashford looked, in, looked so sharp the other day and looked so sharp mm. in the World Cup. I, I think that maybe it's his time for, for a few weeks to get one of those real purple patches and Marcus Rashford form. And the United fans will absolutely love that, won't they? Yeah, Dom. Like, I, th- I think as well, like happiness is an underrated factor in football. So when you have happy footballers, results improve. So there's no doubt, I think, that this camp is much happier than it's been for a really long time, which is why I think with Ole at the very start, players started to play well and they had that 20 game run, didn't they? At the very start, it wasn't that Ole was some master tactician. It was because they were happy and they were, they were willing and they wanted to run and put those miles in. I think that's what you see with Marcus is that Marcus, the energy that he's putting into his game, when you pick that ball up against Burnley on the halfway line, he was only going one place. Six months ago, Marcus Rashford passes that backwards. Simple. Yeah, that's how it goes. So, so I think Ten Hag has got the trust of these players and vice versa. And I think there's a nice core group now built around the likes of Casemiro, Martinez, Ericsson, the new boys who have come into the club who are all just come to win. They've not come to just wear the shirt. 
they want to win football matches. So if you put that in front of Nottingham Forest, that's a big hurdle for them to jump over. Happiness is an underrated quality. I think that's uh, Rob Blanchett's Christmas message that we can uh, we can end this podcast on. Uh, Rob, thank you very much uh, for your insight and for, for joining me on, on the Name on the Trophy podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to chat some United with you. My pleasure, Dom. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening and watching YouTube, all your usual podcast places, like and subscribe. And we'll be back with another episode after the Forest game with these games really coming thick and fast for Manchester United. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.